episode 436 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Jessica Carr. Michael O'Malley. And Andrew Swafford. In today's episode, we're going to be ranking the top 10 movies of the year in the most definitive list that you'll ever see, no matter what. These are them. These are the best ones. These are the only ones. If you thought there were other movies this year... You're incorrect. <laughs> to be fair, there weren't that many other movies. <laughs> That's fair. I, I really, I don't know about y'all. I really struggled with a top 10 list because I realized I really hadn't seen that much and that there was just, it was like stuff I, I really liked, a very small middle class of it was fine, and then a bunch of stuff that I just was like, whatever. There's exactly, a lot of folks who's sorry. Go ahead. Michael. I was gonna say there's exactly one movie that I put on my top ten list that I'm like really, really, really like. This is a great movie, and the rest are these are good movies. It was a weird kind of year for me. There's like a nine way tie for second. So. I know it was like really inspiring oh. confidence on our list here. There I were like, a lot of folks who submitted to our list who just like gave us a top five or a top six or a top seven. They didn't feel like they had enough great movies to fill out a full top ten. My favorite. My favorite was the list that Grace sent because Grace didn't just like go, I only saw like five movies, so here's my top five. And then, no, she put movies in specific, like, so she had like her top two movies and then two blank spots and then a fifth movie and then a blank (laughs) spot. And and I was like, how do you like calculate that? Like, because it was, sorry, I got to just pull it up because I got to go through it real quickly because it was honestly like the only list I really studied. Are we going to start this episode by reading Grace's list? No, I just... I'm just calling her out. No, it's not even a call out. It's just kind of, I was very entertained by it. I mean, it was just like it was. I do like the idea that like <laughs> theoretically there could have been two better movies than this. <laughs> uh, I, I take it back. No, it was she had her, her first two movies and then she had three and four. She's like, I don't know. And then she had a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and two honorable mentions. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so. Jessica, do you have something you're going to say? I feel like I cut you off or somebody did. No, I mean, basically the same sort of sentiment where, yeah, I mostly watch TV shows this year, honestly, which is kind of kind of crazy. But, yeah, there's just, like, nothing really coming out. A lot of the time I was, like, I feel like going to the movie theater, but then I would check what it was, and then I was, like, I don't actually want to pay to see any of these things. And I also think that with like, uh, with like streaming being so available where you know that like something is just gonna hit HBO Max like a month later, you're like, I would rather just watch it for free than pay like $12 to go see it. So. Yeah, the window is getting shorter and shorter between things being in theaters and things just being for free on your streaming apps. Yeah, I was on Disney Plus yesterday, and Michael, we were talking about that Strange World movie, what, like a month ago? And it's already That's on cool. Disney Plus. They just fired their, they just got a new uh, oh, CEO, wow. though, with the intent of bringing back theatricals. Jessica, what's the best TV show of the year? The best TV show of the year is The Boys, which is a very, very good show. And yeah, I started watching it, I started watching it this year completely, because I was like, I don't, Obviously, it's like has to do with superheroes, but it's basically like what if superheroes were bastards, like all of them, and it is like like they actually cause like when they have powers and stuff, they cause damage 
Like, the first, the opening episode is where a dude who runs extremely fast, like, a guy is just walking with his girlfriend, and she steps off of the sidewalk, and the guy who runs really fast just blows right through her, and just completely blows her into pieces, and the guy is just like, oh, shit, (laughs) like, what do I, what, what do I do now, and then, like, uh, people who are normal just, like, are trying to take down the superheroes because they're run by a corporation who is, like, trying to use them to just make money. And they're basically, like, a pharmaceutical company who just, like, inject people with powers to make money. So, yeah. It ended up being super There you good. have it, folks. Coming to, you know, coming to Disney Plus in 2024, they're just going to inject Chris Hemsworth with this. I had to talk, uh, talk Andrew off the ledge of putting the rehearsal on his actual Cinematary Top 10. I probably would have put it there, too. If you would have given me the nudge, I would have yeah, done it. Yeah. I, I hope he's okay. I hope Nathan Fielder's okay. That's all I've got to say about that. I hope, I hope Nathan that Fielder's okay, okay trying to come up with a second season for that show. All right. Well, we, we can go ahead and jump into it now that we've got TV talk out of the way. But for the record, I also would put the rehearsal very, like, in terms of, like, just experiences with media, like, yeah, it would be up it's there number very one high for me also. Yeah. All right, well, cool. We got our top ten list. Um, I put the I put the link put the link on Twitter, so if people want to join us live and be like, "The hell you put that one on there?" It's available to you. So, um, but yeah, let's go ahead and start out number ten. Uh, that is you, Andrew. Yeah. So our number ten movie of the year, one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, We're all going to the World's Fair by Jane Schoenbrunn. I hope I'm saying her last name correctly. Um, this is a very strange sort of sort of unclassifiable movie. Um, it was marketed, I think, as a horror movie to the extent that it was marketed, uh, but it's not exactly that. Um, it is about a uh, a young girl um, who is playing a a role an online role playing game, but she's not playing a role playing game like World of Warcraft or something. She's more like in chat rooms making videos pretending to play a role in this like larger fantasy almost like uh, uh alternate reality world that is is kind of being constructed by this community of people online um they are taking what's called the world's fair challenge um and i don't know if i could fully describe what exactly the world's fair challenge is um it involves like staring at your computer screen while strobing colors flash by you um she records videos of her like having these dances dancing uh sessions slash freakouts uh she almost uh, seems as though she's like walking through a waking nightmare or something Uh, but it is not a movie that has traditional horror scare scenes um, it is much quieter than that, uh, much more subtle than that. Kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of a tender movie emotionally. Um, it's it's very much about this character's loneliness and her isolation and the ways in which she's sort of reaching out to people um, on the other side of her screen to sort of fill a, a void in her life. Um, and it is beautiful. It's heartbreaking. It's a little unsettling and creepy. Um, and it's honestly uh, one of the things that I think is one of the biggest selling points of it is that it's just like nothing else. It, it is like no other movie that you have seen. 
Um, so uh, if this is a movie that, that folks listening have not heard of, um, I would strongly recommend uh, checking it out just to see what you think of it, because it's it's kind of hard to know <laughs> how you will feel about it without just watching it for yourself, taking the World's Fair challenge, uh, so to speak. Um, but yeah, that that's that's my thoughts on this movie. Did any of y'all uh, have other things to say about it? I liked it. Um, it's cool. There's a lot of movies that are very... A lot of media in general, I was thinking about this earlier, a lot of media in general nowadays is very explainy, right? It's either there to explain something or to, uh, you know, be expository in some way, like especially documentaries, but like a lot of movies too will like really go out of their way to explain themes. And that's not always a bad thing. Like there's a movie later on down this list that has multiple scenes explaining its themes that I think is really good. Um, but this movie, it does kind of the opposite in which it like simply presents you with footage um, and in some ways it's like found footage, um, but it's not really in the same format because found footage movies a lot of times take a fairly recognizable like genre shape, but this is, I don't know, the shape of this is really interesting because it doesn't really explain itself. And so there's a lot of, the ending especially has a lot of like ambiguity in terms of like, what are you supposed to think about it? Um, like what are, what are your emotions about what you just saw supposed to be? And I think that that's that's nice to have a movie like that to come along. That's like just willing to be a little bit esoteric. And I like that. Also, uh, Anna Cobb, the main uh, actress here, I'm hoping is going to go on to do big things. Cause she was really good in this. Um, the only other movie that I've seen that she's in, cause she's only in a few movies is uh, bones and all the Luca Guadagnino, like um, uh, Timothy Chalamet cannibal movie. Uh, and she plays a kind of secondary role in that. She's also good in that. Um, so get out there, Anna. Have a career. Yeah, hopefully she has a long career. Hopefully Jane Schoenbrunn gets more deals to make movies. Uh, she has a, a film coming out with A24 called I Saw the TV Glow uh, that I'm excited for. Um, but yeah, that's our that's our number 10. That could be that could be the title of a Dutch surf movie. <laughs> Truly, also. Uh, Jessica Zach, did y'all have any other thoughts about World's Fair? I hadn't seen it. It's on HBO Max. If you have not seen it, but I have not seen it yet. Yeah, like I I thought that it was going to be a lot more scary than it was, and I was kind of waiting for it to hit the level of like this the scary that I thought that it would because it really is kind of playing on the creepy pasta stuff and I remember whenever my cousins were like kind of obsessed with that and they would be telling me about Momo and shit and like I would I was like I don't want to hear this I was like la, 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 la. I'm not listening and I thought that there would be a lot more stuff like that and I think it kind of plays with it a little bit where you think like whenever you're watching her when she's like sleeping and she's filming herself sleeping you think like uh something really messed up is gonna happen and you're kind of like watching it and it does it goes into the creepy a little bit and then kind of like reels it back in because i think the purpose of the movie is more so kind of like the loneliness of that and like how all of these like teenagers that are like very interested in all of these like creepy internet lore things are kind of just wanting to have friends and that they're kind of just wanting to like be obsessed with something that someone else is obsessed with and that's kind of like the core of the movie and I get that and I thought that it did that really well but 
I th- I thought it was just gonna be more scary. I just kind of had to adjust what yeah. I was looking for, like while I was watching it. I thought it was a horror movie. Yeah. If, yeah. If you go in expecting unfriended, it's not that right. But I think it does capture something about like the strangeness of the internet and like these these weird spaces that that all of us, but also kids and young people are are having to navigate and just feel their way through. Um, while struggling with a lot of complicated human emotions like it, it makes the the weirder parts of the internet into something that feels much more lived in uh, than it would in a more overtly scary genre movie it's kind of a horror movie in the sense of like how some nicholas rogue movies are horror movies in the sense of like it's not really doing the genre conventions but it's doing something kind of unsettling with like its film form and the story the shape it takes is is kind of unsettling too but it's not like a spooky like boo the world's fair is gonna get you well, cool uh like I said, <laughs> that's right it is on um hbo max for the moment so uh if you've not seen it it is there um but let's move on to number nine which i believe is you again Andrew. this is also me yeah uh so of all the movies on our list this is the one that maybe pushes the boundary of like what are we willing to consider a movie <laughs> the, the furthest um, and that is uh, the inside outtakes uh, which is really a youtube video uh, uploaded by uh, bo burnham um, who made inside uh, last year was it last year or was it 2020 i think it was 2020 that inside came out right um and this is you know if, if you're being uncharitable this is just kind of a collection of b-sides and deleted scenes uh from inside i mean it says as much in the title right um but i would argue that um this does have a sense of cohesiveness to it um it does feel like a true companion piece to inside uh for people who don't know what inside is if we have any uh folks listening who've just not come across it um it is kind of a comedy special slash just video art piece thing (laughs) created by comedian Bo Burnham um, where he's uh, performing songs he's written alone in his uh, the guest house of his house um, and doing a lot of like really um, innovative and creative and imaginative things with uh, lighting and editing uh, to make it feel like um, such a spectacle um compared to what you would expect from somebody alone in their room playing music to a camera. Um, and the inside outtakes is, is more of that, but it's, I think that um, in addition to the, the songs that are just cut out of the original, um, this has its own identity as a uh, sort of a, a look behind the scenes at the creative process. It's, it's way less focused on seeing Bo Burnham deliver these like incredibly polished, uh, very impressive technical feats, and more um, watching him struggle to make that. <laughs> so like, uh, there's one, uh, there's one sequence of it, um, where you're seeing him play the song Welcome to the Internet. Uh, but you're seeing every take he did of the song um, in like all these little like uh, laid across a grid on the screen. And every time he fucks up, in one of these takes and stops recording that piece of the grid disappears and you have one less image of Bo Burnham you're looking at um, and it really goes to show how arduous and time consuming and tedious just creating anything is 
Um, I actually, you know, I'm not trying to do a shameless plug here, but I, I did record an album this year. I, I make music. People do not know that. And like, I spent so much time uh, this year doing exactly what you see Bo Burnham uh, doing here. Just kind of um, doing take after take and like uh, spending spending a lot of time just sort of making fun of myself as I am like working my way through this like slow gradual process of like piecing something really uh, big like this together. Um, and I've never really seen a film that captures what it's like to uh, do like that boring side of being creative, um, quite like this one does. Um, so I think that if you liked Inside, uh, you will definitely like this. It is, it is a lot more the same and it has some of the best material from either movie. Um, there's uh, an amazing track that's like one minute long where the one of the only lyrics is, they're really gonna make me vote for Joe Biden. Uh, and, uh, so, so like there's there's some, some great great material here, um, but it's also kind of an interesting document of not just how Bo Burnham created this thing, but also just how anybody creates anything, um, sitting alone in a studio, uh, tinkering away at it. What? Where did you sit on Inside itself? So, yeah, I was curious about that because I was a very uh, divisive. Yeah, I was a little unsure how to respond to inside honestly um there were parts of it that i really liked um there were parts of it that made me uh concerned for bo burnham uh i i hope that he is okay this one actually makes me like inside more uh, because i think it it goes to show like how together he kind of has to have it in order to go through this process i've been talking about um it is, it's kind of inspiring, honestly, in a way that, that Inside was not, personally. Did either of y'all, Jessica, uh, Michael, did you see it? I saw it, yeah. I thought it was really good, too. I think that I think that Andrew likes seeing kind of like the inner workings of things, like a little bit more. I liked, I liked both of them. I like Inside better just because I think it is the final product. Like, it is the thing that he was trying to make. I liked I liked the little it was it it to me was like watching a like how we made this thing like it was like a documentary of like this is how we made the actual movie type of thing and so I I care about that and I thought that it was really interesting to see the process but it was kind of like to me just a bonus like it didn't it didn't feel to me like something that was just its own thing it just felt like it accompanied the actual like movie that he made um but i thought that it was really good to see and i i'm interested to see like a couple years from now how that because he's like the first person to have ever done anything like that really and so I'm really interested to see how that inspires like other filmmakers and other creators to make things that are like that. And uh, he he was really like the he's like used to be a YouTuber and kind of reflected on on that sort of culture like in the movie itself as well. And so it's interesting. Uh, to see like if if people in the future like are going to try to make similar things totally yeah we've talked off and on on this show over the years about like the 
cinematic uh, technicality that goes behind a lot of TikToks and YouTube videos um, because people are working with very limited means, like just uh, a camera on a phone usually, um, but are able to you know, use, use those like limited editing tools that they have at their disposal um, to create some, some really uh, honestly magical stuff. And so I am wondering, like, what what is the cinematic landscape going to look like when um, eighty percent of people who are making movies were once TikTok teens, right? I think this is maybe like a glimpse forward at that future. Well, and I hope that they take. You know, the thing also is that it's it's much more difficult to make a you know sixty to ninety minute film that you you're tying everything together than make like a little thirty second or minute long hit for TikTok. And so I think this also shows that, um, you know, Bo, Bo Burnham is, is somebody who's influenced by that, but also this is also how you piece all of that together to make like a cohesive narrative for, I think it's, it's like a little over 60 minutes um, inside is. And so that's also very difficult. And so I hope that's, that's also the lesson that you should take away is that um, it's kind of how to piece that together and make a, make a narrative that runs that along. Before we move on, since Andrew is not shamelessly promoting, uh, andrewswafford.bandcamp.com is where you can find his album. Oh, it is also on Spotify and uh, uh, Apple Yeah, but you Music. should go to Bandcamp. You should go to Bandcamp. You should support the the independent artists on Bandcamp anytime you can. Uh, well, cool. I got number eight. This is one we probably won't spend too much time on since um, we've talked about it a little bit lately um and that number eight is park chan wook's new movie decision to leave um for those who have not listened to recent episodes where we've mentioned it um the story it's from park chan wook the director of the handmaiden among other things uh, old boy uh, things like that um this one follows a detective who's investi- investigating this um death of a man who fell off of a mountaintop um, initially, they they rule it a, a suicide, but then as they um, as as the case moves along, they begin to sec- suspect the the deceased, or at least the detective begins to suspect the deceased uh, wife um, of of being a part of this. But also, he's like, she's hot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's like, I think she I think she killed her husband. But also, I would like to like kiss her face um, <laughs> the eternal dilemma <laughs> uh, and so that's and that's kind of the course of the movie is just like him being is <laughs> him being cuckolded by her in the in the fact that he is just like endlessly attracted and in love with her but also she's like clearly like taking out husbands left and right in this movie um and i don't blame him it's she's the the wife is played by tang Wei, who's beautiful and uh, this one, it, it's not as I know. We talked about the Handmaid before. I think it was on a top ten list as well as being. Um, uh, we we talked about it in the best of the decade series, um, but this one's not as as intricate or or um, you know. It's pretty like the way I described it is pretty straight. What it is, it's kind. It, it is very much like this play off of you know. Park Chan Wook kind of playing off of some stuff like Vertigo and things like that. It feels very Hitchcockian um, because it, it just kind of has like this this nervous sexual energy. Um, it's very funny at times. It's very violent at times. Um, 
it's very goofy at times like this this detective like has this insomnia and like there's long periods at the beginning of the movie where he's just like watching her do stuff and recording it um and uh yeah i i i watched this again recently um it's it it still holds up from the the time i the first time i saw it when andrew and i caught it at tiff um but yeah, I just the thing the thing I kind of took away both times watching is that Park Chan Wook just makes these movies, whether they're the greatest of the year or not, that are just endlessly uh, watchable. Like you kind of find little nuances every time, even even if it's as intricate as something like The Handmaiden uh, or Old Boy. This one is not nearly to that level of like um, plot, like the the plot complexity. Um, but it's just there's just kind of this energy to it um, that kind of, that very much holds your attention the entire time, and he just makes like good like good movies, like good you know cinema, uh, you know the, it just that just holds your attention. The way that he the way that he directs it is is so is so um, mannered. Like he just directs the plot and uses the camera in a way that engages you in these kind of very basic cinematic traditions that I think get lost on a lot of contemporary filmmakers um, that that just really work like the plot like the or the the, the script the acting and the camera work is all complementing itself in, in in engaging in this fashion to um, make you the viewer uh, like it's constantly engaging and playing with you the viewer in a way that I think um, you know, that's that's probably why, you know, at the beginning I was like, there's a lot of a lot of movies that I watched this year and I was just like, whatever, um, because they, you know, they're not making them like Park Chan-wook makes them. Um, they, they're not really they're forgetting about how to really, really play with the audience, which is something I think we'll talk about a little bit later with one of our our top picks for the year. Um, but yeah, anybody anybody have any additional thoughts on decision decision to leave? I will say that one way in which Park Chan-wook plays with the audience um, is he he breathes new life into this very tired trope of people spying on other people in movies. You know, movies have a long history of stories about voyeurism, um, whether you're talking about something like uh, Rear Window or The Conversation or something like that. And one thing that Park Chan-wook does to liven that up a bit is whenever a character is listening in on somebody's conversation or uh, they are peeping in their window from a, from across the street, um, he puts the actor literally in that space um, where the, where like they are spying into. And it kind of creates this um, strange sense of reality being put somewhat off balance. Like at any given moment, you have to be assessing as an audience member is what I'm watching literally happening, um, or is it some sort of visualization of um, this character's experience that I now have to sort of like piece together, like how it fits into the rest of my schema for the way this this scene is working or the way this story is unfolding? Um, and so, like you said, it's it's not as like twisty and surprising and and secretive as something like The Handmaiden, but it still has a lot of um, like smaller ways in which it's sort of playing with expectations and playing with the reality of the story. Uh, it's just really fun uh, to to watch yeah, him work. I, yeah, I think I was, the last thing I was gonna say, or the you know, 
bounce off of you is is it's just fun it's a very fun movie to watch um yeah yeah, I actually rewatched uh, Thirst last night, which is also by Park Chan-wook. It's a vampire movie. I was really interested to see like how it would hold for me. And while I was watching Decision to Leave, I was like kind of thinking about it because he does a really good job of like playing with the relationship of these like two people who are attracted to each other, but they're both like kind of messed up. And the power dynamic between the two of them and there's like a bit in thirst where because he like turns her into a vampire and she's like miserable and he used to be a priest so he kills people like he doesn't kill people he only goes to the hospital and he just drinks their blood while they're like in a coma or like like he doesn't kill them completely and when she gets turned into a vampire she's like i'm gonna just murder everyone <laughs> like she just like decides like i'm i hate my life i hate you i hate everything i'm just gonna kill and it's like very the the dynamic between the two of them becomes kind of like like she becomes the antagonist of the movie basically like um and it's really like the way that he plays with that sort of relationship and that sort of power dynamic is so interesting to me and it reminded me of that in like this film as well because like she is specifically killing her husband so that she will get his attention and uh they're like it, it kind of just goes off of that and it's just the it's like you just want to sit there and eat popcorn and watch it like all day long like it just is so so spicy to fun. watch yeah. i was yeah. looking back through cinematary's lists um to to find where the handmaiden ranked for us the year that it came out we had that num- movie at number nine that should we're should be ranked shit. way higher. <laughs> we're dumb. I don't know what to tell you. The movie was under a hunt for the wilder people. <laughs> I watched that. I rewatched that recently for the first time since that year, and it still holds up. It's yeah, it's, still it's good. so sad still that Taika Waititi died after that movie. Never made another movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he was never heard from again. Yeah, I don't know what he did after that. It's sad. So well, he pivoted to making some pretty good TV. Um, all right, decision to leave is on Mubi right now. If you, if you want, I think they're giving away like free free trials on that, so worth a free trial to go watch Decision to Leave on Mubi. So weird that that is on Mubi. That should be way more widely available. Um, oh, that would kill us. Like a like honestly, if it was like on Netflix or something or absolutely. HBO Max, it would kill. Yeah. People would love that. Um, all right, number seven, Jessica. Number seven is bodies, bodies, bodies. Hell yeah. Bodies? Just kidding. It's I, only three bodies. I had a fourth. I had a fourth body on here, and I had to fix it. <laughs> like, how many? I was like, how many bodies? How many bodies is this movie? But it was like a. This movie was like kind of a surprise, I think, for a lot of people. Like. I was hyped when I saw the trailer because it seemed like very high energy A24 slasher comedy. And so I was already kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. But after watching it, it ended up being like way, way smarter than what I thought that it was going to be. And uh, I was reading like some critics reviews of it and they were basically saying like, 
you really, like, basically halfway through watching it, you kind of adjust your, like, what you wanted to get out of it, because it, it, so it kind of sets it up, sets up the story where a lot of these, like, rich Gen Zers are going to a mansion to have a hurricane party, so there's a hurricane that's about to hit, and so they're like, we're just gonna get fucked up for the entire night, and it's like this group of friends who, some of them, like, there's, they've been friends for a while, and they're, like, drugs are involved, so there's lots of, like, weird things, like, they all have, like, weird, weird, like, resentment towards each other for different things, and, like, throughout the movie, you kind of get, like, little bits and pieces of that, and whenever it starts, um, what is, is it Amanda... Uh, what's Amanda, her name? Uh, Amanda Stoltz. Amanda Stoltzenberg. Yeah. yeah. So she shows up with her new girlfriend, and you can kind of tell that there's like weird tension between her and the rest of the friend group. This other girl is new, so she doesn't know who to trust. And they decide that night that they're going to play the game Bodies, 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 which is basically just like, I mean, it's kind of like werewolf, right? Like you, It's werewolf, like, yeah. Yeah, like somebody is the killer, and then, but then people start actually dying, and then you're like, oh shit, is someone killing them? But like halfway through the movie, there's like a little, little situation where you're like, wait a second, and it starts kind of like unfolding are we doing spoilers is this a spoiler well thing? you already said that the wife killed the husband to get the protagonist's attention and decision to leave so we might be doing spoilers <laughs> <laughs> you should have watched them y'all <laughs> you should have watched the movie anyways but yeah so it just tur- it turns out that there isn't actually a killer the first person who died is pete davidson and he was making a tiktok with a machete and he accidentally <laughs> kills himself it's such a good twist i i hope that we have not ruined that movie for anybody by giving that twist but i love that twist yeah and so like the whole the whole movie is basically just a sick burn on zoomers and how if there was one night where they had no access to electricity or the internet or anything they would go absolutely insane by just accidentally killing themselves or killing each other. So having not seen this, that sounds like an old man take. Is Does this movie kind of feel like cranky, like old man-ish in that regard? You know, I don't think that it is quite as much of a like uh, dunk fest on Zoomers as maybe uh, Jessica sees it as or maybe as the marketing has uh, presented the movie as. Um like it, it reads more to me about the ways in which our relationships are much more complicated and like seeking truth is much more um, difficult in the age of the internet um, because of the ways in which like we're constantly sort of like talking behind each other's backs um, like that. I think we, we as millennials who grew up in an era like before social media was like the norm when we were kids um, probably do not truly know uh, the the feeling of like social coercion and bullying that exists specifically in like an online mediated space. And this feels like it is taking people who have like been simmering in that 
that like pressure cooker um, and then like putting sticking them all in the same place and then like pulling the plug from you know their uh, what what they might go to for a break from one another and and like seeing a ways in which those social dynamics just sort of implode uh, because of the unhealthy ways that the internet has sort of conditioned us to uh, talk to and about our friends. Sounds good. As an old man, I get behind it. Yes, exactly. I also, I also think that if Zoomers were to watch it, I think that they would like it and think that. A it lot was of my students funny. have watched it and liked it a lot. Yeah, so I don't think that it's it's reading as condescending to Zoomers. Yeah. But I will say, I think that it's awesome that it was a like female team that made the movie so it is directed by helena regine and then the screenplay is done by sarah delap so the fact that we're getting more we're getting more female directed and written movies is super cool and also like breakout performance by rachel sanat who is in shiva baby and she gave an amazing performance in this as well and I think that her career is like about to blow up. I think that she is going to be in like more and more indie movies for sure. She also delivers one of the most relatable speeches of the year when she uh, she talks about how difficult it is to start a podcast. Um, the the cast in general is really good in Bodies 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 like every <laughs> everybody is um, kind of utilized there's a lot of like stunt casting that is done with great purpose here like everybody it, it, it the movie knows that like pete davidson is like the bankable star so they they present him in the marketing as like the reason you're coming to see this movie and then they kill him off like so early in the movie and he comes back in that like delightful way at the end um it also uh features a really good performance by lee pace who is like not of the same generation as the rest of this cast and the fact that he's not of the same generation is like a, a point of of tension in the movie uh it also has um maria bakalova uh who people uh would know from borat subsequent movie film um and and her casting is interesting because she's a bulgarian actress english is her second language and she's also not really a household name yet so she's in she's sort of the pov character in a lot of ways um but there's more to her character than you would expect based on kind of the star power at play um in this movie um it's it's really thoughtfully put together i think um among the best thrillers of the year for sure i just like that you said the full title of the borat sequel instead of just saying borat too (laughs) 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 he's like actually it's borat subsequent (laughs) Uh, movie film thank you thank you um i think bodies 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 is making the streaming rounds now so uh you can find it there and uh pete davidson janet lee of our generation question mark i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about that one (laughs) all right uh (laughs) all right jessica i'm gonna send it back over to you for number six all right our number six movie is nope we're still making those puns <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep yep this is our number six movie 
I don't get old. So this is directed by Jordan Peele and came out during the summertime. It is it's his third feature movie. And he's doing doing his thing with Monkey Paw and making those horror movies that have social some social satire in there. <laughs> You sound like a like an like an old lady. Like he's making those horror films with the social satire in there. <laughs> well, yeah, like I I really liked this movie. I think that people liked it less than uh, Get Out for sure, and probably a little bit less than us. But personally, it's kind of like obviously Get Out is number one. But I think that us and this movie are kind of like the same sort of thing like i would put them both at two if i if i were making a list of the top three i would still have nope and us on the second spot um but it basically i mean i don't think i need to go over the plot i think that most people know but they're it's like a a brother and sister who are on like a california horse ranch and they rent out their horses to be in movies and their dad dies in a super horrific way and they're both having to try to figure out to how to keep the business going and there's like weird shit happening like on the farm and they start like horses start disappearing and like weird ufo stuff starts happening and they're trying to figure out like what like what is going on what thing is like terrorizing them and i don't like i don't think that i'm an alien movie kind of person like i like alien obviously but like <laughs> not like uh i don't really care about ufo stuff i i my dad like loves watching the what is it called like secret aliens or whatever on the history channel ancient aliens yeah like and and he loves like ufo conspiracy stuff and like he how he was like in the military so it's like he loves like all that area 51 stuff but i've never really cared about it i'm kind of like if aliens exist then whatever then that's that's fine i'm not i don't really care Good for you, Alex. I exist too. But but like this, I think this movie was. I think Signs and also this movie were one of the only alien movies that made me genuinely kind of scared. Like if if aliens existed, then the fact that they could just suck us up into like this thing that could crush us to death like that is like genuinely scary to me and the the scene in nope that i still continue to have nightmares about and think about is whenever the like jean jacket which i guess is what they call the ufo alien thing like sucks up all of steven yun's like uh arena of people and the horses and all of the equipment and like the stand and all the metal and like sucks all of those people up and you get like a pov view of what it would be like to just be 
inside of that and like hearing everyone screaming and that that shit is so scary to me like i was just like this is this is genuinely terrifying to me but so that automatically gave the movie points of just like some like a new a new uh experience for me to be terrified of but also showing it in a cinematic way that made me feel like I was in it or there was a possibility of me ever being in it which is really interesting like I think that the I think the sound design like also helps with that because you just like hear people like screaming and what the sounds would be like inside of it and I just the just it's amazing I'm glad that I watched this in a theater too I think it's a really good theater movie because you can you get like the full sound experience but also like all of the visuals of the ufo thing just like floating in the clouds and like hiding in the clouds and like legitimately like after i watched the movie i was looking up all the time and being being like i don't i don't know if this cloud looks different or not and i thought that it i thought that it was like really effective in that way but I think that if I were to give it some criticism, I would definitely say that like I don't think that the writing is as tight and I don't think that the story is as tight as like Get Out. There's lots of I think that he's like becoming known for having kind of like twisty thriller e horror movies where it's like puzzles and you have to like look at stuff and put things together and there were lots of things in Nope that just like kind of didn't make sense and didn't go anywhere. And, like, all of the stuff with the killer monkey, like, I didn't care about that at all. And the fact that it kind of became, like, iconic for the movie where people were, like, dressing up as the chimp or whatever, like, for Halloween. Are you kidding? I did not see that. Really? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It kind of makes me wonder if that was, like, a thing... Like, if that was on purpose, like, if it was, like, a marketing thing where they're, like, you have to have something iconic in this movie where, yeah, for people to dress up as, and I was, like, um, just dress up as Steven Yun. Like, did you see what he looked like in the movie? Um, but overall, I liked it, and I, I hope that his movies continue to be good and that he doesn't get sucked into the this the money making system and that he is still like allowed to have like creative freedom and that sort of thing he's he's been he luckily all of his movies though have been widely you know like they've been super successful like he's not somebody uh like J- damien chazelle who made whiplash and la la land which were super successful and he's made first man in babylon which completely tanked like i could see that dude yeah ha- damien chazelle's in hot water yeah i could see him like being stuck in some like disney project pretty soon because he's made two two bombs but like jordan peele's been pretty he's been successful not only as a director but as a producer so i feel like he's set up to to be okay for he's the future. one of the only directors who's truly a household name for people now um so i think we've talked about this on the podcast before and we've talked about his movies but like good on jordan peele just for making bringing auteurism to the public consciousness <laughs> again like his yeah, movies especially are the blockbuster yeah. movies yeah like i was thinking uh, about him recently in kind of relation to the fablemans with spielberg and like 
I was thinking about how Jordan Peele, I hope he's making movies for a long time because he seems like a really interesting, like old man filmmaker to me. Like Jordan Peele, when he's like older and has been making movies for like 10, 20 years, sounds super interesting to me. Um, Anyway. (laughs) Well, and the one thing I was going to say about this movie is I think that I'm like in the minority here in the sense uh or maybe in the minority in general which is that i like that his movies have become a little bit less coherent because like he he reminds me of like in specifically this way he's not really similar to this filmmaker in other ways but in specifically this way he reminds me of spike lee in the sense of like his claim to fame as a filmmaker is this very pristine movie for spike lee that would be like do the right thing and in, um in jordan peele's case it was get out in which like it is like this socially conscious like really energetic, really fascinating, but also like very clean. Like all the themes are like very like, you know, like, like galaxy brain laid out, like, and both of both Spike Lee and him have revealed themselves to be much more, more like interesting filmmakers than simply like, I'm going to create these like meticulously constructed, like music box films for the rest of my career. And like, I really like the fact that like, for instance, like, nope, is like interested in like a bajillion things including like like french philosophy of the spectacle like for whatever reason like there's just like i don't know like that that indicates to me like the fact that his movies are increasingly like bursting at the seams with what they can try to contain makes me feel good about his long-term prospects um because as much i do like get out and i feel like that's his most like like uh his cleanest and most accomplished film I don't know that I would say it's the film of his that I'm most interested in because it's the film that I watched and I can continue to watch and it's entertaining in exactly the same way each time I watch it. And I don't think that that's the same for Us or Nope, which are messy films where like I've rewatched Us. I've not rewatched Nope, but when I rewatch Us, like different things stick out to me and there's different little like burrows that I can like go down. Uh, I don't know. So I'm really interested to see what he does in the future just because it doesn't seem like he's interested in doing like a specific thing. Um, I would I like compare that. him not to Spike Lee, but to M night Shyamalan. Yeah, no, that's another uh, good who like is just kind of chasing his own interests and like putting these like really um, b- bizarre scenarios on the screen. Um, like his movies do fit into these genre tropes. Like uh, Nope is sort of a Western mashed up with a sci-fi movie but it's also so utterly its own thing uh, in, a, in a way that like your mileage is going to vary as an audience member on um, be, because like, he's just wanting to surprise audiences. Um, he wants to make new kinds of stories. That is a good comparison. I think I chose the Spike Lee comparison out of hopeful, hopefulness that he's not going to have a like yeah. wilderness period of right. like <laughs> making avatar or whatever. Um, like uh, M. Night Shyamalan did. So uh, keep the faith, Jordan keep the Peele. Faith. Don't, don't start adapting uh, Will Smith Vanity Projects or whatever. Well, you're acting like Old wasn't our number one movie of the year last year. No, I love M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> now, but like he's definitely got some, some dodgy stuff in there that's not super Oh, for sure. Oh, don't worry. Knock at the Cabin's going to be number one next year. Reed has already, has Dude, already I'm, said so. I'm legitimately my most look forward to movie of next year. <laughs> I'm so excited, yeah. Uh, I will. I will look forward to Jordan Peele's happening, though. Uh, whenever that occurs. <laughs> um, well, nope. It's on. I think you can stream it on Peacock now. But yeah, I kind of. I feel like it's one of those. I would be curious to see how it had like the legs it has 
sitting at home watching it compared to being in a movie theater to watch it? Good question. So, yeah. Um, well, do you want to take a break or just like power through? <laughs> right. Let's take a break. We'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back right. after these uh, these messages. back for part two of uh, episode 436 which is our top 10 movies of 2022 um andrew bring us back with uh tell us about the crimes all right let's talk about the crimes not the crimes of the present nor the crimes of the past but specifically (laughs) the crimes of the future which is our number five movie Uh, this is directed by the one and only David Cronenberg, uh, Daddy Cronenberg, as I have taken to calling him, since his uh, son is also out in the world making really good horror movies. Uh, but this is it. It has sort of been David Cronenberg's "quote unquote" return to form in a sense. Not to say that the movies that he's been making for the past ten, fifteen years are not good movies. Um, just that this feels like a very David Cronenberg movie. It is him kind of doing the things that he became known for um, in uh, like the 80s and the 90s. Um, this film actually is very similar to Crash in a lot of ways, which is my favorite David Cronenberg movie. Um, actually, did a whole uh, podcast with, with one Seth Troyer where we talked about that movie. Um, but Crimes of the Future has sort of this... Um, really uh, preposterous uh, setup uh, that I will need to spend some time explaining, uh, but maybe not so preposterous as it might seem on the surface. Um, in the indeterminate future, um, humans have been so like gradually changed by um, the microplastics that they have been consuming in uh, their food and their Uh, like household products um, that their actual like DNA is starting to change. And specifically the way in which their DNA is changing is that um, their pain tolerance is much higher. Um, Seems like the best possible scenario for the microplastics in our bodies. Well, (laughs) hold off, hold that thought. Uh, So because people's pain tolerance is higher, they're just kind of feeling less right and so um some things that that humans do for uh like sensory pleasure like sex 
don't necessarily have the same physical visceral appeal that they once did because people are kind of like their nerves are just sort of numbed to a certain extent so the way in which the human race is responding to this is by a having kind of rougher and rougher sex <laughs> to the point where uh you know there's a scene early on um, where you see two random people making out like in an alleyway and one of them has a knife and they're like cutting into the other one, like as a way of taking like kinky pain play to like the next dystopian level. Um, and specifically there is a new form of sex that is emerging <laughs> in which people new sex dropped new sex just <laughs> dropped David Cronenberg says <laughs> and uh, and the new sex that has dropped is people performing surgery on each other um, and this movie specifically follows a man named uh, or a man what is his character's name it's ridiculous Saul Tenser played by Viggo Mortensen uh, who is a a very political performance artist who he is taking a stand against the way in which uh, the, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, the food and drug industry, etc., has so corrupted the human body that he like has his microplastics uh, or has like these new organs that the microplastics are creating in his body, has them publicly taken out of his body. And so he's trying to, uh, claim to the world like look at this awful thing that you know uh, uh, industry and capital is doing to the human body meanwhile his audience is totally getting off on it because they like seeing the surgery <laughs> like it's it's this uh, exhibitionist thing that he's doing but he doesn't necessarily know that he's doing that or doesn't intend to be doing that meanwhile his partner uh, Leah Seydoux um, is like this performance artist in a different way. It's like she's a, a musician or something like this, a, a, a very famous um, like technical craftsman of surgery. And people show up in droves to like see her specifically do the surgery on Viggo Mortensen. Um and I don't want to say more about what happens in this movie. Uh, Kristen Stewart is in it. Uh, Amazingly that, I think, in it. <laughs> uh, she has an amazing role. Um, there is also a guy covered head to toe in ears. That happens at one point. Uh, <laughs> you just kind of got to see this movie to believe it. And David Cronenberg is such a fucking good filmmaker that he can make things like in Crash, for example, he can film a car crash in a way that it is as it is meant to feel as erotic as the characters see it as. And he does a similar thing to some of the surgery scenes here where it's like, I don't like what's happening on screen, but the cinema is making me feel as though I do. <laughs> um, it, it is some wild uh, galaxy brain filmmaking um, among my favorite David Cronenberg movies, honestly, like top three. Uh, for me. Um, so, so that's, that's my big, uh, my big, uh, wreck for crimes of the future. Uh, if you feel like you can stomach it. <laughs> uh, I'm just not going to take a sip of coffee next time when you say <laughs> ear person. 
to be Jesus. the funniest thing about the ear person is in the movie it's considered he's just a hack like he's like yeah. a guy who's trying too hard in the art world <laughs> incredible oh anybody else see crimes of the future and want to add anything it's really good i think there are a lot of times when people talk about that like oh you know this movie feels like a cyberpunk movie or whatever but i think like david cronenberg is one of the only filmmakers who actually makes movies that feel like he's read the cyberpunk movies rather than knowing that like oh this is just about like a future in which technology is out of control or whatever like this truly feels like like a new wave sci-fi novel like it, it has that feel if you've read like philip k dick or jg ballard or like those sorts of like guys or like william gibson like i know the first two are not really cyberpunk but like it's got that like really wildly inventive but like confusingly inventive style to it that i think is just really good and very few filmmakers do um maybe his son is the only other one i can think of who makes yeah like that's that. true uh it's good like he's has he written a novel i want to read his novel oh does he usually no, no, no! I'm saying like, if were he to write a novel, I would, I would like. Oh, well, like, me, wasn't this look. movie? He made this movie earlier, but he didn't have the same sort of like money, right? No, I think like he just took the title. I don't think because he had, in like like one of his so, very first films, Jessica. Jessica is somewhat right, or no? Yeah, I think Jessica's right in that like he wrote the script for this in the '90s. And then it sat in a drawer somewhere for a very long time until somebody approached him and said, like, hey, microplastics are in the news constantly now. You need to make this movie. And I think he's updated it in a couple ways to, to make it feel like more like it's speaking to the time. Um, but I guess that's one reason why it feels like old school Cronenberg because it literally is. I'm, I'm imagining the guy from The Graduate who talks about plastics, but he's talking about microplastics this time. And he's at a party and David Cronenberg just <laughs> picks up on it. I don't think Cronenberg has written a novel, by the way. He I'm, needs I'm to. He's got a yeah. finger to the pulse of something like literary in addition to cinematic. Oh, wait. No, there's a writing section. Uh, did uh, did he draw? Uh, yes, he has written a novel. All right, I'm going. Um, I'm, I'm doing it. Consumed. <laughs> Oh, the good. first novel by Canadian filmmaker, screenwriter, and actor David Cronenberg. The novel is driven by a globe-trotting photojournalist couple that pursues stories featuring rather unusual. People. Yeah, like this movie was like Sounds genuinely generic, way funnier than I thought it was going to be. There are like lots of parts in it that were just downright hilarious. Honestly, like <laughs> there were also like funny memes that came out of it too. Where it was like uh, a lot of the time, Vigo Mortensen was like in a cloak and he's like doing like this and he's just like, yeah, he's just like, <laughs> he's just sitting all cozy oh and just then like Kristen Jedi. Stewart will come around and she's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and she's like so nervous around him and just like whispering and somebody like put a like they basically did like a shot for shot of the simpsons where it looks exactly the same <laughs> where he is just like yeah. <laughs> and i i i like i like that it. cronenberg is like i'm gonna make freaky shit <laughs> and i'm gonna like have a commentary on like 
corporations like ruining people and people getting desensitized but also it's gonna be a little funny like it's like there's gonna be like a little bit of funny stuff in it and like the one the one part that i that really sticks with me is whenever he just like vigo Mortensen's character just has a flap like his stomach is cut and he just has like that flap and she in order to pleasure him just like like does she lick his flap is that what happens or does she finger his flap i don't <laughs> and i don't remember just in there's an a lot of flap licking in she's just like movies. she's getting the flap with other. and i was like so. this is <laughs> and i was like this is so gross but for some reason it's so funny to me and i was like i don't know why and i hate like i'm not i don't really like gore and stuff in movies and i genuinely was like i didn't know if i was going to be able to stomach the surgery scenes in this because they're i mean they show everything they show all the organs like they're all there and like i think it's gnarly yeah i think (laughs) including some new ones too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think the humor part of it like helped me be able to watch it because like I think having that helped like Possessor which is by his son is also just like very gory and very but like that there's not there's no there's no humor in it at all it is like not there's nothing like it's like very very dry and it was very hard for me to stomach like the violence in that and the body horror because of how like dry it was and so i think that he i think adding the humor was just like really good also i nominate the last shot of this film as the best shot the best last shot of 2022 just chef's kiss you know that's a that's a strong a strong case yeah i would have to think about other movies last shot there's one there's one other last shot. shot uh coming up that i think is good oh the the last yeah. shot of fablemans yeah um i would put that above crimes of the Future. i do love that the two like maestros of like avant-garde like body horror like whatever whatever their names are david and brandon <laughs> just like amazing names for what they do <laughs> well the crimes of the future is it's about the flap licking you make along the way so it's on hulu now if you want to you know Get crazy with it. Um, our number four movie is RRR. Actually, actually, if you type in RRR, it brings up RRR, a 2004 film. But this is from 2022. This is a Telugu language epic that dropped in Hindi in on Netflix earlier this year. It comes from... Uh, filmmaker SS Rajamuli um, and it is an epic that's a an epic action drama um, according to yeah with dancing um, but let me see if I can distill this thing down to a log line it's tough um, so you have these two all right you have these two you have these two revolutionary figures, one who is within the, because this takes place in the 1920s, one a part of the occupying British forces, one who um, I don't think is initially like a revolutionary figure. He just lives in in this kind of um, 
village uh, deep in the jungle, but is uh, radicalized by, um, you know, the British just being the British in 1920s India. Um, and uh, it's, it's really the journey of them kind of finding each other and then breaking away and then finding each other once again, finding their, their, their purpose through that. Um, but it is, it's, we got a lot of, we got a lot of good bro in our top five. We got a lot of bromances going on. Um, but, but yeah, so a lot the large part of the first uh, portion of the movie is just kind of introducing these two characters and then they they come together and meet not knowing who really each yeah, either person is um and it's a big for the for the second part of the movie and it's a big i also like it's a big old fat middle finger to the british um you have like these it's kind of, you kind of have the role reversal of you know for a large portion of film history you have these very stereotyped um stereotypically programmed figures non-white figures in cinema you know you'll have maybe a black character or an asian character in in movies that are very like programmed to just be like how white people perceive others um in this one it's like the most stereotypical british people of all time and it's great (laughs) um like like almost laughably programmed um where they're just like you know, they're all talking like Mary Poppins and sipping tea and just colonizing. And then it's the rest, the whole movie, the whole, yeah, that can't dance. And the whole second half of the movie is just like, let's just, just eradicate all of that. Um, and this was when it started getting some buzz. Um, I think just through, through the, through the letterbox and through the internet of, of people saying this thing is crazy. You got to check it out. Um, it, it popped up on Netflix and there's a little bit of controversy with, with that whole thing that I'll just kind of put to the side for a second. Um, but, um, I watched this earlier this year and this is a, this is a fucking movie. Um, like full ass, fills the fills the pot of like this is a this is a whole fucking movie it's got um it's got dancing it's got romance it's got bromance it's got action and not just like action it's got some of the best action in movies in ever. like the last decade yeah yeah i mean it's and it's and it's like the it, it's it's probably the height and definitely the bar being set of this is how you want not only action but like modern action where you're incorporating a lot of digital effects and cgi into it where it, it incorporates that but doesn't feel like it feels incredibly choreographed and directed like it feels much more tangible than like watching captain america fight somebody or something like that like this this feels very much like it's a like you can just feel the action just permeating through the screen and it's honestly a, a, and it's funny too because it's not like especially convincing effects like you can always tell when it's an effect but it fe- it does feel very much like more tactile and like has a lot more oomph to it than like you know a lot of modern like american effects driven stuff yeah because there's a lot of a, a lot of the film has incredibly cgi'd animals because as they make up they have this giant disclaimer at the beginning that they're like yeah we didn't harm any animals um and you're like okay but then once you get to the movie you're like i understand why they put that because there are animals um tearing up people and being torn up by people and yeah it's the cgi is important for that um and like 
<laughs> like, <laughs> like honestly, one also one of the most like briskly paced three hour movies because this this is a whole this is a whole ass three hours. But at no point was are you like looking at your watch? Are you going? How much more of this do we have? Like you're locked in because yeah, this thing cooks and like um. You know, I was thinking because I just rewatched uh, Avatar yesterday, um, and like James Cameron, for all his faults, the dude knows how to pay, like pace some action. Like whenever the action starts in a James Cameron movie, that dude knows how to like handle it and like give you exactly what you want and then get out before it gets kind of old. This one is very much like like SS Rajamouli like knows what the fuck he's doing. Um, the action is so is so well staged so well blocked is, is is so well choreographed like you never it it doesn't have what you know again it just feels so so like such a breath of fresh air from watching a lot of american action movies including ones that like i put on my list um this year where it's a lot of shot reverse shot like you're watching um, superhero kind of punch and, and fight with the person and then kind of reverse it you know they, they kind of have tried to make it much more um, much more free-flowing and kinetic with stuff like uh, John Wick but it really doesn't have the same effect I think this is the closest you're going to get to this in American filmmaking recently is probably Mad Max Fury, Fury Road where you're like you're, you don't only have like people fighting each other but you have just like planes of fighting going on that you're bouncing between kind of seamlessly because at times in this you have the characters completely separated from one another but it's there it's edited together to feel like um it's edited together to feel like uh uh like they're like right next to each other fighting um and and you just kind of you have different it's not and again it's not just hand to hand you have so much different like styles of fighting and and set pieces there's a set piece uh at one point when the kind of characters come together where you have one who's riding this motorcycle and you have one who's like um who's more on the ground and they like come together and are like swinging on on this on this apparatus on a on a bridge to get this person who's in the water where there's like fire swarming around them and like the this is the moment when the two characters meet actually yeah this is the meet this is when they meet and it's just and and like the whole apparatus of the set piece (laughs) is insane because you're just they're swinging on this bridge there there's a motorcycle involved there's fire in the water there's a kid in the middle of the fire in the water and it is just like enrapturing you're like what the fuck is going on right now but every part of it is is incredible um and so it it just kind of i think i think any other year um this would have been like mind-blowing action filmmaking but especially as as you know as we kind of live through the American market of just like really uninspired, just bland um, action filmmaking. I think, you know, a movie that we're going to talk about at the top end of this podcast, I think is a lot of people have responded to it because it's, it feels very fresh and kinetic in the way that they're trying to depict the scenes in a way that, that kind of is counter to what we're, what the norm is with things uh, with just mar- not even just Marvel products, but just action in general when it comes to American filmmaking. Um, and this just feels very, like it feels very much like it's engaging with the audience going, we're going to give you like true spectacle. Like 
um, you know, forget any sort of like don't you're not gonna. It's it's very much a turn your brain off and like just experience the action type type of filmmaking. Um, and it's I, I would recommend kind of going back to um, there's there's a lot of I don't think it really um in, like uh like it doesn't totally encompass the movie in terms of like, there's a lot of politics going on behind the, behind the scenes that, and we talked about it a little bit on the podcast that as like American viewers, we're not super um, uh, up to date on, on what's happening here, but there's been a lot of really interesting writing I found on Letterboxd and other places kind of talking a little bit more in depth and really, really nuanced about, about how, um, about the, the history that's being portrayed here about um, the the language, the kind of changes in language you're watching a Hindi version on on Netflix, but Telugu is is the is the um, is the language that it was it was properly um, supposed to be portrayed with, um, and so there there's a little there's just kind of this this historical precedent there that kind of complicates things, um, but. Uh, but but I don't know. At, at the end of the day, it's kind of you know there was a really good podcast that Film Comet did, kind of comparing this to Top Gun Maverick, which are these very like nationalistic propaganda ridden films, and how those are both of these the, the films are like seeped in this ideology, this nationalistic ideology, but are but also are these like shining achievements of just action blockbuster filmmaking that I would recommend people uh, subscribe, you know, checking out rather than me trying to, you know, regurgitate what it, what they're talking about there. But I think they both came to the, to the conclusion that like RRR is just like this, this epic achievement of action that uh, if, if you just want to experience a spectacle of filmmaking, you should watch RRR. And I kind of co-signed that, but um, I'm going to turn it over to, to y'all because I know everybody else I think everybody else has seen it, or oh, okay. I don't think Jessica. But uh, I'll. Turn... I don't have anything else to add. I would just co-sign everything that you said. Uh, this is among the best action movies we've had in a very, very, very long time. Um, I'm surprised it doesn't rank rank higher for us. Um, I thought it might be number one at one point in the year, um, and I think that the the comparison the point of comparison to Fury Road is very apt and I think that people should be as hype for this movie as they were about Fury Road when it came out uh, but it's mostly not because it's a three hour uh, Indian film and people are just not choosing to not sit down and watch that but um, it is a fantastic fantastically worth your time uh, I agree and I would also say that I'm not like super well versed in the world of like 2010s like 21st century like asian action cinema but there's like a whole not just in india but in like you know other countries in like the specifically like southern southeast asia like there is a vibrant uh uh you know culture of action filmmaking that is maybe not quite to this extent um but in a lot of ways compared to the American counterparts, like still in this like very vibrant, creative, energetic mode that like, if people like this, there's a lot more films that could scratch this itch. Um, and I would recommend that people get into that if they can. Yeah, just from the director himself, he has a lot of movies where um, Ram Charan, the, the one of the lead actors, he's in a lot of his other movies. And I've seen a bunch of people kind of pointing to those as like, if you like this, you'll 
definitely dig what he's doing here because it's very much in the same mode. Um, I hope you watch this, Jessica. I think you would love this movie. I think you would love the bromance um, a lot. Like, I think you would love the two lead characters and how they interact with one another. I think you would enjoy this movie a lot. Yeah, it's on my Netflix list. It's always the daunting, the daunting uh, runtime that is like, hmm, am I going to sit here and do this or what? <laughs> this movie also benefits... Like you could break this into two sittings easily because there's a part one and part two. Like it is very there's a very like clean halves to this movie if you feel daunted by the runtime. Because I usually my life is such that right now I don't have a ton of time to sit down for like very long movies. And so I often watch movies in multiple sittings, which I did for this one as well, and it worked fine. But like I said, it's also a movie that you'll like the, the you'll hit the you know, part two and you'll be like, Oh like really we're already to part two (laughs) there's so much happening um but yeah i i I would encourage you know whether whether you break it up or watch it like whatever just watch this movie it's it's a hell of a time um and i think it'll piss you off about what's in like what is playing in theaters now you're just like look at all the possibilities we could be scratching um all right number three michael we're gonna make you talk finally yeah um so this one was actually my number one movie of the year on my ballot um and I just talked about it a couple weeks ago on the podcast, and so I don't know how much like fresh stuff I'm going to have to say about uh, Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, um, but it's still good. Um, I think that uh, this is a great movie, and like I said the other weeks, like it's great not just because like the movie itself is great, which is true, but it is like freighted with all of the the entire weight of Steven Spielberg's career, like were this to be the last movie he makes, like it would be like a really perfect, like just, just way to tie off his career. Cause it's like intersecting all of this stuff that he's been doing his whole career in terms of stuff with like parents. Um, you know, there's a lot of catch me if you can and AI like built into this movie in terms of like relationships with fathers and mothers and all that. Um, but it's also like just a treatise on art um, and filmmaking. Like there's multiple scenes in this movie where, characters sit down with like the what is supposed to be like the basically young Spielberg and like they just talk to him about like what filmmaking is or what art is like there's a scene when his uncle who had worked in the circus um and had then worked in the early film industry um comes and stays with them like just for a couple of days it seems like um and he he just sits down with like young um Sam aka Steven um in his room and talks about art and like the whole movie has like multiple scenes like that, like where his dad sits him down and is like, here's what a film is. And his mom sits him down and is like, here's what a film is or here's what music is or whatever. And like, it is a very explainy, I, t- I talked earlier about like, I liked how we're all going to the world spirit doesn't explain. Like this movie explains every scene. Like every scene is explication on like that idea of like art and how does an artist grow? Um, how does it affect his relationships with people around him? Like, you know, what does this mean in terms of, like, you know, how you view the world? Like, every scene is characters explaining that stuff. But it's just, like, it's so fun. And it's so, I thought it was moving. Um, I I have talked to people for whom, like, don't really dig, like, the Steven Spielberg, like, sentimentality or whatever. And this movie kind of, like, felt like it was that. Um, and I respect that some people were going to feel that way because, like, there are a few people out there who don't like Steven Spielberg. Um, but like, I think that this is also like, it's a much smarter iteration of that sentimentality than like, I think some people are willing to give it credit for because 
it has this knowingness to it about like to to be sentimental is to be manipulative and to be manipulative is also kind of like a, a an insidious power um i talked about it the other day when i was on the podcast but that scene the the freaking bully at the in the hall after he's watched the 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 senior skip day movie that steven spielberg's character has made is just incredible and it's like this incredible like just um like it, it the that th- that scene is a thesis again. It's a character explaining something to Sam about what film has done to him. And in this case, it's like this guy who's bullied Sam in high school and has been very anti-Semitic and all this stuff um, is explaining to him why watching how Sam depicts him on the screen with his camera um, has really messed him up. And like it's just this treatise on this is the power of what filmmaking can do to our ideas about people. Um, and it can remake people from just regular people into like larger than life figures that will never amount, like reality will never be able to match those. Um, and there is something so amazing and like inspiring about that. Like the crowd cheered and loved that film, but at the same time, like to see yourself depicted in that way, there's something like horrifying about that because you know that it's not you, but you know that everyone thinks it's you now. Um, anyway, this movie's great. Um, I don't know if anyone else has thoughts about it. I, I'm not sure. I'm repeating a lot of what I said the other day. but um. This is my favorite movie of the year. Um, I would co-sign all the things that Michael said about it. Um, I would also add that in addition to doing a lot of great explaining of uh, what the power of film is, it is also just a great demonstration of the power of film. Like It is an amazingly filmed and edited uh, piece of video. Um, and... We were talking earlier about the last shot in Crimes of the Future maybe being the best shot of the year. I think that the last shot of the Fablemans is definitely the best shot of the year. I don't want to explain too much about the context of it because I think that is something that is delightful to to experience as a surprise. Um, but it is a, um, a a great example and like a, a winking example of how like changing the way that something is filmed, changing the perspective with which you view the image um, changes the feelings that are evoked um, by the image itself. Um, the last shot involves um, the camera that you're looking through kind of being forcibly moved uh, by somebody's hands because it was in the wrong spot. And once it's in the right spot, you're like, oh, wow, that is that is such an amazing uh, feeling. Yeah, I will say that, uh, like, Steven Spielberg, I don't know, like, I don't want to, like, eulogize too much, like, an old you know, there's a lot of, like, hokey Spielberg movies and, like, a lot of, like, things about his era of filmmaking that I think are kind of thin. But, like, one of the things that, like, I think a lot of people are starting to recognize, like, going back and, like, looking at movies that, like, people didn't really consider to be significant back in, like, the 90s or whatever, is recognizing that, like, contemporary Hollywood struggles, like, deeply struggles with technical issues with regards to the camera and sound and lighting. And Steven Spielberg has never struggled. Like, that is, like, you go back and watch his, like, low-budget stuff, like, Duel or something like that, and that's always, like, he all he and his cinematographers always have such an eye for lighting and, and camera placement that is, like, uncanny, uncannily good. And there used to be a better grammar just among the, like, working technicians in Hollywood, it seemed like, than there is now. And I think that a lot of people are kind of, like, nostalgic for an era in which, like, technical uh, ability was just kind of a, a foregone conclusion in Hollywood. Um, but Steven Spielberg specifically was always like so pristine about that. And this movie 
is like yet another demonstration of like you know for all of the movies that are kind of like silly and like inconsequential that he made like this is why or one of the reasons why he became such a powerhouse is that like uh his eye for imagery is just so incredible and his eye he, he and his like cinematographers and directors of photography and all those you know lighting and all that like the way that in like virtually every Spielberg movie throughout his career, they all come together just to make not especially, they're not always like extremely showy movies. Um, like there's movies like Lincoln or whatever that aren't really like visual feasts for the eye, but like just the ability of like knowing how a technique community like connects to a specific effect on the audience. Um, like he, he throughout his career and the teams that he has assembled or worked with has just worked really well with that. And that's kind of a thing throughout the movie too. Like, how Sam, the the young filmmaker, is able to do these things with cameras, like just have this kind of like preternatural ability to like understand what the effect on audience will be of doing a specific camera thing. Um, and some of it is just really fun to watch this like, like there's this scene which he's like filming a war movie uh, with like his like buds in high school or middle school. I can't remember what stage of the movie that's in. Um, and, like, just the way that he has, like, shoestring together this, like, shot um, that he knows is going to be this amazing shot um, if he can just, like, make all these technical things happen. Like, that is incredible. Like, I um, – and one of the things that, like, is kind of fun about this movie is, like, a lot of these movies that Sam makes in the film are, like, remakes of movies that Steven Spielberg made as a teen. Um, and Steven Spielberg got to remake his own movies – um, and then kind of show how he made them as a teenager. And like, I know that like he is on the record of saying he's made, he remade them a little bit better than they were originally. But like, as someone who like played around with cameras a lot, like growing up, like it's hard, like it's hard to know to do this stuff. Like, it's not just like you point and shoot, like it is there. I don't know. Like it's, I can imagine someone feeling like this is very self-congratulatory if Steven Spielberg saying, look how smart I was with cameras as a kid. But like, it's impressive. But you gotta hand it to you him. You gotta hand yeah, it to him. Like, it's there. It. <laughs> it's there on the screen. You can't deny it. Yeah. No, I, I, I would, one, I would recommend listening to this interview he did um, about the movie on Fresh Air. Um, fascinating. She hits him with this incredible question where he explains the whole the whole first scene where he's a kid and he's experiencing the uh, the greatest show on earth and is like ter- terrified and is trying to like process that and she hits him with this great question about well then ha- like you know why are you so hooked on World War Two and and how did it depict World War Two and he like has to, and he like goes through this whole thought process about how he how he views war and that war specifically he talks about how he didn't storyboard the D Day scene and saving. Private he Ryan. Didn't. He didn't storyboard any what of that. The, that he is did, incredible. He said to me. it's twenty five <laughs> minutes, and it took us. We did a minute a day, and I'm like, holy fucking oh shit, this gosh. guy, incredible <laughs> dude, knows how to make him. Um, but anyway, no, this was my number one as well. I I've been thinking about it a, a ton lately, just because a lot of the things that you said, Michael and Andrew, like co-sign all of that. Um, but he just, 
like the way like the way this movie rather than being the self-aggrandizing movie of you know the movies changed my life and this is how it did it it's more about here's it's more just digging into how the movies manipulated my life and how i manipulated yours and like just that kind of like engaging in that level of how movies manipulate because every movie we'll talk about in this in this honestly in this podcast is trying to manipulate you in some way to elicit some sort of reaction um and like it just reminds you that this dude knows how to do it a lot better than a lot of other people um and uh it's just fascinating i love i I love every second and again last five six minutes of this movie is utter delight um so uh it's it's i think it's going to be coming on streaming pretty soon on peacock and other places but uh i don't know i if again it's it's much more than just a dude patting himself on the back saying this is how i make movies and what i like about them um i think it really does engage in this level of film craft that is um that is like next level so but let's move on let's move on to number two michael that's you as well yeah, which I also talked about uh, on the podcast recently. Um, so I'm not sure how much I'll be repeating myself, but this is uh, The Banshees of Inna Sharon, um, which is the new Martin McDonough movie uh, starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, uh, who are living on this small Irish island uh, as the Irish Civil War rages in the mainland um, in the background. And uh, the premise of the movie is Brendan Gleeson just suddenly decides one day I'm done with being drinking buddies with uh, Colin Farrell. It's still so um, funny. And, and the whole movie is like, anymore. the whole movie is just that, like what happens when these two people who, you know, have hung out with each other every day. Um, one of them doesn't want to hang out with them anymore. And the other one is just perplexed and decides I got to figure out how to fix this. Um, and I'm going to go to eventually very, very lengthy lengths to try to fix, make sure he never leaves my life. Um, even though he clearly doesn't want me to be in his life anymore. Um, and like, that's such a very strange and odd and specific, um, premise for a movie that is honestly like makes that, that very weird premise as human and funny and fun and ultimately very sad as I can imagine it being like, it is like this, this movie has some like, shaky things in terms of technical craft like we just talked about spielberg and this is not like a movie that's going to wow you with technical stuff the the this the scenery is very nice because it's ireland um but what you're here for is like the screenplay which is just like an incredible screenplay um just just the way that like everything in this movie is very funny but also very very human and oddly like relatable and resonant um and the way that Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell like embody these roles and play off of each other is is just very watchable, like just very fun and and like enjoyable, um, but also ultimately like very tragic um, and dark. And I liked it a lot. Um, again, I I talked about it a few weeks ago, so I don't feel like I have a lot of new things to say. But just specifically at screenplay level, it's just sharp. Um, the um, I, I've never watched a Martin McDonough play, but I know that that's like his background is as a playwright, and the movies are a little bit of a newer thing for him. Um, but this is the first of his movies that I watched that I'm like, you know what, I can imagine this as a play and not losing a ton. Um, but that's not necessarily like a negative thing in my mind, like because I probably would never see this play. Like I don't, I don't see plays that often. So 
I'm glad I got uh, I'm glad I got a movie version of it where I can see uh, Colin Farrell's little like little face like up close. You get to see his donkey. His donkey. Yeah. We get to hang out with his. When donkey. you're depressed, you bring the donkey in the house. <laughs> you gotta bring the donkey in the house. Um, Jessica, I don't. I know this was on your list, and I don't. You have not talked about it yet. Did you have anything? What What stuck out to you about Banshees? Oh yeah, no, it wasn't on my list. I actually haven't seen this. I thought it was. Oh really? Yeah, no. Oh, I lied. <laughs> <laughs> um, you should see it. You would like. Yeah, it. you would like this one. There's a donkey, and, and Colin Farrell's just like, this is my donkey. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's crazy. There's so many, there were so many, like, movies that just came out towards the end of the year that were, like, just sleeper. Like, they just showed up, and I didn't hear anything about them. There was no marketing. There was, like, literally nothing. And I was, like, just... Film marketing has been very obvious. I was just walking by posters, and then I saw it, and I was, like... I was like, is this in Bruges too? Like, what is happening? I was like, have, I have no idea what this is. I didn't hear anything about it. So, yes, I do Zach, want to watch it. Speaking of, uh, speaking of in Bruges, you just watched, uh, rewatched in Bruges, right, Zach? Would, how would you say this ranks compared to that? This one's much more um, mature. Like, in Bruges, it's, it's, it wasn't, it's, uh, in Bruges is more mature than I think I was, uh, like, you kind of give it credit for. It's not like this let's just be obnoxious Tarantino type thing. Like, I think we talked a little, a couple weeks ago that, you know, it kind of, it does lean on that, but it also is dealing and kind of processing heavier themes than a Tarantino movie. And is, and so you have just kind of this chaos and language and violence that is, is kind of culminating out of that. But at the same time, it's kind of handling stuff in a way that you're like, okay, like this is working on a much higher level than something like, um, you know, something, something like uh, once upon a time in Hollywood or some of his re or the hateful eight or some of his recent stuff um, that. And so I still really like that one. That's probably my number two, but I think this one it will probably, or this one will probably crop up as the number one, just because it's a lot more subdued. It's taking a lot of, it's taking a lot of what's good about that and really like kind of bringing it down and um, focusing it a lot more. You get a lot more, um, you get to focus a lot more on the characters, the Brendan Gleeson and the Colin Farrell characters. Um, and it also just kind of has really much more complete characters around them than you do in in Bruges. Like in in Bruges, Ray Fiennes shows up halfway through and it's just calling everybody, you know, calling everybody the C word and just like firing off left and right, Um, which is fun, but you know, it's not like he's a very complex character. Um, And in this one, you have Colin Farrell's, the sister character, you have the Barry Keegan character, you have um, even some of the, the characters like at the pub that you run into constantly, like have, are like kind of these fully formed people by the end of the movie and like i, I mentioned again like bef- you know before we stop talking about this i have to mention like barry keegan honestly probably one of my favorite if not my favorite performance in a movie this year like his performance that in this one is incredible keeps, uh, keeps finding new types of weirdos yeah like i just love uh, him because it's such it's such a specific character and he like gives it so much more life than probably anybody else would have and i'm just like like this is just a good old this is a good old performance in this um really like really love that dude best supporting movie. actor goes to barry keegan cinematary has declared it yeah <laughs> He's, it's kind of for those, you know, for those who haven't seen it, you know, he's very like, he's working on the same wavelength as like the Green Knight, 
um, and like weirdo characters like that. But he like, I don't know. There's just this real, uh, I've seen people sharing the scene with him and Colin Farrell's uh, sister in this movie, the scene between those two characters and and that, and it's just, (laughs) and it's, and it's fucking crushing. (laughs) It's so goddamn good. And the way he acts, it is just so, I'm so sad that he's unfortunately getting, getting pulled into like the Batman machine and is going to have to play like the Joker in his Batman What's movies. What's the line in that movie is something like, well, there goes that dream or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's just like, well, there yeah. goes that dream. Yeah. <laughs> oh and just walks off. And he like, he's, it's very like, he just like walks off and just runs out of the, you know, and you're just like, oh my God, it's so sad. Um, yeah, this is on HBO Max now. So if you've not seen it, um, definitely check it out. I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's much more complex than you would, you know, than what you've been getting out of Martin McDonough lately. <laughs> Three billboards. As with, um, as with RRR, there is a political backdrop to this that I think that like we as Americans maybe are not quite privy to. This is in some ways like an allegory about the IRA and then the um, the other nationalist um, group that was part of the civil Irish Civil War. And the fact that I can't name it now is bugging me. But regardless, there is like a whole thing with that. And like if you want to go down the rabbit hole of what this is trying to say about the Irish Civil War, which is like maybe it would complicate your feelings about the movie, depending on how you feel about the Irish Civil War. Like, there's that, too, if you choose to go down that rabbit hole. Because, like, that's always in the background is the the Civil War, and people, like, read headlines about the Civil War and things like that. So, but I think it also works, like, perfectly well. It's just simply, like, a dramatic piece between, like, these two characters. If you want to learn more about the Irish Civil War, just watch Dairy Girls, because also... <laughs> Dairy Girls so good. I would also say that unlike a lot of the things on this list, like Crimes of the Future or We're All Going to the World's Fair, this is a movie you could like sit down with your parents and watch. Like it is a very crowd-pleasing, enjoyable movie. Yeah. It, the, the, the 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 accents are so thick you don't even know what's really what's really happening. What's to that be a cuss word? I couldn't tell with the bro. Yeah. Um, does feck count as a yeah cuss does feck count as a cuss word <laughs> it's honestly it's 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 a plus that it's on hbo max now because you can drop those uh drop those sub- subtitles on and you're like i know what's going on oh yeah i rewatched it with subtitles and it was a much better experience than watching it <laughs> yeah. either, honestly. it's it's tough irish but um yeah, but yeah. does All anybody right. well, does anybody's parents really care about curses anymore is that a oh, thing? my parents do 100 really i was like dropping f-bombs at the table and my dad i didn't even realize it and my dad was like can you just chill out a little bit with the, <laughs> with the f-word specifically and i'm like all right <laughs> you're like the the marge simpson meme of like hey kids can we take it down and like a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and i was like whoops i forgot <laughs> yeah um, all right. Well, drum roll, drum roll, please. Number one movie of the year is going to Jessica. The movie that made the sales of Everything Bagels go up by at least seventy percent. <laughs> Everything, <laughs> everywhere, all at once. Don't fact check us. <laughs> I don't know if that's real or not, but you know, I ate. I definitely ate more Everything Bagels after I watched it. But I didn't eat more hot dogs because there's lots of weird hot dog <laughs> stuff in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, so 
honestly, like I loved, I loved this movie when I watched it. I when I saw like the marketing for it and the trailers, I immediately it was like one of those trailers that I watched where I was like, I have to go see this as soon as it comes out. I have to go see it. I have to go to the theater to see it. I was very very excited about it. The fact that, like, we haven't had more movies starring Michelle Yao is a, is a crime of the present <laughs> that, has, <laughs> that has happened. She's an amazing actress. Never, like, this, this is the movie that gave her the opportunity to show off everything that she's learned throughout her entire career and has, like, given her the recognition that she deserves. And so, so the film is directed by the Daniels, and it is, they're called the Daniels, who you know from the farting corpse movie, Swiss Army Man, that they made their name off of, and it is about... Also, the turn down for what turn video? Down for turn what down video. for what video, maybe their best work. They're the duo, they're the duo that transitioned from, like, music videos into filmmaking, and this is their second feature film. And it stars Michelle Yao, and she's a Chinese immigrant who has a laundromat business, and she's getting audited, which is every small business owner's nightmare. Um, And she is just kind of dead inside, honestly. Like, when the movie starts, she's very, like, withered. She's not paying a whole lot of attention to her family. She has a daughter played by Stephanie Hsu, and her husband is Jonathan K. Kwan, who came out of retirement for this movie, which in itself is amazing. You might know him from things like Goonies and Indiana Jones whenever he was a kid he was in those films and then nobody saw him for a really long time and then he just showed up in this movie which was kind of crazy (laughs) he was like (laughs) he was like this is my role um but there's some weird, like, sci-fi-y stuff that happens with, like, multiverses. And Michelle Yao's character is basically told, like, you have to save the world. Like, this is your, you have to save the universe. This is your new mission. And she's given this kind of, like, sort of purpose that she doesn't really understand. And has to fight, like, the evil boss which you find out later is like her daughter and it's all kind of just like a big metaphor for her accepting her daughter who is queer and she doesn't really acknowledge that she's also has a failing marriage and is about to file for divorce like her husband is trying to get her to sign divorce papers so like all of her shit is falling apart and she has kind of just been living her life like very passively and like i found it to be like a very a very touching movie and it technically is also amazing like the shots in it are insane in the multiverse like storyline you're taken into michelle yao playing like a bunch of different characters and living like all these past lives and all of those things were like very interesting to see it's a lot like a lot of people describe the movie as like chugging an energy drink like at the very beginning of it and then kind of like being blasted through the whole rest of the movie um 
I found it to be like very genuine. I know lots of criticisms would say that it's like corny and redundant. And I understand both of those criticisms. But for me, the story was strong enough to land me in a place that made the movie extremely meaningful. And I do think that the runtime could have been trimmed. There were lots of like little little snippets in there that I think didn't necessarily need to be in there. But the part... It's like... Two hours yeah. and 40 minutes. It's like two hours and 40 minutes, but it feel it probably feels longer because of the energy. Like, it is a lot. and But the, the parts in the film where it kind of, like, takes a break and is showing... Like, I always... Like, in the Daniels... In the Daniels movies before, like, in Swiss Army Man, there's, like, also a part in it where it, it goes down into the existentialism that the movie is like really trying to boil down to and in Swiss Army Man it is when they show kind of like a body decaying and it shows like his body turning into a skeleton and like decaying into the earth and there's like a whole thing about us existing and like the meaning of life and in everything everywhere all at once it's like two rocks that are talking to each other and they have googly eyes and they're kind of just like thinking about like why they're there and going over just like time and things like that and what I got from the movie is that even so like it, it is basically like the an immigrant story and when you've when you've like sacrificed all of these things to build this American dream and to build this life that you want like all you know is struggle and all you know is how to be hard there's no there's no way to be soft because if you are then you can't give your family the life that you've sacrificed everything to give to them and so she has to relearn like how how to how to love her family and to see them for everything that they are it's really easy to like resent uh, people who you've sacrificed everything for and I think that a lot of a lot of immigrant stories like kind of delve into that where children of immigrants are now able to they probably go to therapy and they're now able to uh, create these stories where they're expressing how how they think their parents felt whenever they sacrificed everything to give them this dream life but the child maybe didn't turn didn't you know turn out to be in this like box that they that their parents were like trying to put them in as like the american ideal and i think that the way that the movie handles that story i think they do it really well and i think that it is very heartfelt and i didn't find it to be like corny at all despite the the humor is like very silly in the movie there's a whole bit that one of the bits that I like really appreciated was the Rakakuni bit because oh my god, um, it's very funny, yeah. <laughs> like as like my my mom also like it was you know is an immigrant and also English is her second language and I can't tell you how many times like she has gotten movie titles wrong or has like just completely given me like I am now cur- sort of cursed with like I don't know sayings like. I get them mixed up all the time. I'll say like ducks in order instead of ducks in a row. Like I like they were told to be incorrectly, so I learned them like wrong. And I think that that was like a really smart little thing to put into the movie. Um, 
But I also, like, one of the things that I really loved, I want to read Page Page's review of this movie because I thought that it was really well put and very good. Um, just let me find it real quick. So Page, Page said... Shout out to all my fellow agents and victims of chaos who find peace and refuge in the form of someone who walks by your side as actual human sunshine, which I think is so good. Like, in in the movie, like, uh, Michelle Yao's character and Jonathan K. Kwan's character, like, balance each other out very well, and she sort of learns that his strength is not because he's seen as like a very passive weak character and she throughout the movie figures out like his strength is found elsewhere like it's not in his like physical strength or in his hardness like he he has strength in his kindness and she figures that out towards the end of the movie in very beautiful Wong Kar Wai-esque scenes which are amazing as well um, but yeah, the movie just has, I mean, it has a lot, it's trying to do a lot, but I think that it all comes together in a cohesive way, and whereas some people would find it kind of hitting the same point over and over again redundant, I found it, like, entertaining and also reaffirming of, like, what the movie was trying to do. Michael, I know you're big, uh, or you're a fan of this as well. Yeah, I, I, I do like it. I'm probably the person Jessica's talking about where I, I my I, I have said it, it hits the same point a lot. Um, it's maybe too long, but I really I liked it. I thought it was funny. Um, one of the things that I thought like on a meta level is kind of like amazing to me about this movie was how dang popular this movie became. Um, which if you look on paper, I don't know that I would have assumed that this movie would have become like I think the biggest A twenty four movie of the year. And like just anecdotally, like I don't like you know, work with a lot of people or really talk with a lot of people outside of the folks on this podcast who are really tuned into movies. Maybe that's not true. There's a few other people, but regardless, a lot of times people will come up to me and be like, have you seen X movie? And it's usually, you know, the new Avengers movie or whatever. Um, but like this movie was the one that the most people talked to me about this year. They're like, Hey, have you heard of everything everywhere all at once? Or have you seen that movie? And I think that that's kind of amazing that a movie that is not really like a, you know, it doesn't tie into an IP. It's got a fairly, like, convoluted, like, esoteric, um, like, mythology to it. Um, it is, you know, about, like, an immigrant story. You know, like, it's got all these things that, like, I think, like, historically on paper, we wouldn't say, like, that's a blockbuster movie. But, like, I think it's really, like, inspiring in a way. Like, a lot of our conversations over the past couple of years, like, since COVID on this podcast have had to do with, like, maybe the diminishing returns of like theatrical distribution and like how like there are like trends in like American filmmaking that are kind of dispiriting because they're kind of bankrupt commercially and and creatively and like all that sort of stuff but like this is like a really I don't know for me it's like an inspiring bright spot that a movie that is very idiosyncratic very like driven by a like the vision that the filmmakers have like that is seems personal to them and it's certainly personal to a lot of people including you know on this podcast like that is you know this energetic um like i don't think it's flawless but it's like it's a it's a movie movie you know it's not like um it's not an obligation movie which i think is like so many movies that come out now and like this is ended up being one of the more popular movies of the year and like 
I really like that about this movie. Like, it's got a nice meta-narrative to it that um, that I'm into, um, as well as the things that Jessica said. Like, I think this movie um, has a good, like, a really solid, like, emotional core. Like, the characters make sense. Like, as much as, like, I alluded to, like, I felt like it was too long or whatever, like, it has good bones, which is something that, again, like, I find myself griping a lot about modern movies is, like, no one knows how to write a screenplay anymore. Like, characters are incoherent in movies so often. But, like, these characters make sense and I care about them. Uh, and I like that the movie makes me care about them, you know, rather than me, you know, it, it doesn't feel like there's, like, obligatory, like, emotional beats. Like, the emotional beats feel organic to what this movie wants the characters to be, even as wacky and out there as this movie is. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I It's good. I'm, I'm glad it's on this list. I'm glad it's the movie on this list that probably most people are most likely to have seen. Yeah. To be honest. Let's, yeah. Let's, you know, we were talking with Banshees about how, like, it didn't get any marketing. This one is, like, the opposite of that. It got they pretty, marketed the they marketed They marketed the, the, this movie pretty well. Um, because it was kind of one of those... Um, it kind of came out, and there was, like, a, I think a, a buzz amongst people like ourselves like you described michael who's like in kind of engaged with movies and are like oh this is like this this seems like something interesting and then started to trickle out into more mainstream fare as the as as it got a wider release which was kind of interesting is it just the largest a24 release for this year or is it all time i thought it was all time i'm sure it's the highest grossing a24 release yeah i would time. assume so because it made a it bunch of money be. yeah um and i'm uh, surprised that it didn't do better on like the the ranking of all movies that came out this year. I just looked up the IMDb list of like the highest grossing films and it's all the way down at 35. Um, I thought that it would be, if not in the top 10, like just outside of it, considering how many people I also heard talking about this movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a giant fan of this movie. Um, but one of the things that it did bring next to RRR is like some of the most interesting film writing that I, I read this year. There was a number of reviews, pro and con, about this movie on letter, especially specifically Letterbox, that I found to be really fascinating. Whether you liked the movie a whole lot or you didn't like the movie, um, and so like on that level, I you know I appreciated this movie generated um, some critical thinking that you know we just don't get necessarily with a lot of the other uh, movies that are coming out this year. You know, you're not you know an Ant Man whatever comes out you're not getting a lot of critical thinking about it and like this one had people thinking whether you didn't they see those incredible essays about black adam i didn't unfortunately <laughs> oh my gosh you missed out um but this but this movie like there was some really like you know the, the, there was some really really panning reviews of this that um i thought brought a really interesting perspective as well as ones who were really really positive and so um just on that level i i appreciated it for getting people to think and Nope as well. Uh, this and Nope um, seem to be like the two biggest pop culture movies that have been very divisive. Um, and I ended up being on the con in the con column on both of those movies. But I understand why people who like them like them. And I've really enjoyed reading about them and thinking about them all year. Um, and I'm really glad that um, a, a movie by you know, an independent duo of directors who have like their own personal point of view and are doing new, interesting, strange things has popped off uh, to the extent that it has. And they, and they, I don't know, maybe somebody, they, they turned down a Marvel thing, right? 
like they turned they did turn down a Marvel pick. into and then yeah. ended up making this right yeah yeah good so for good them. for them good for them. <laughs> And they, I mean, also with this film, like, they have given spotlight to lots of Chinese actors who have been doing this for, like, a really long time. Like, I I first saw Stephanie Shu on Nora from Queens, and she plays Shu Shu on Nora from Queens, which is really good. Um, but these are all, like, Chinese actors who have been doing this thing for a really long time, and people haven't given them... Uh, lots of credit or notice but they've been sweeping at awards like stephanie shu won uh for like the asian film actors award like she won like best breakout performance yeah i hope also i hope also this movie introduces people to like i hope this is like a rosetta stone type movie you know there are those movies that come around every once in a while to introduce new new types of movies to new people and like there's an extended like in the mood for love riff in this movie that like I hope introduces people to that, uh, and the, that's true of a couple different like things in this movie that are like riffs on other types of movies, and I I I hope that like in addition to like you know exposing these uh, this cast to maybe you know new opportunities, I hope it exposes like viewers to new opportunities as well because I think that this movie could be that. Yeah. Well, and I was just going to mention one other actor. I don't think uh, you mentioned him before, but uh, the the actor who plays um, the Michelle Yao character's father, James Hong. Yeah. That's a that's a dude. That's a dude who's been in everything. That dude's been doing it for a long time. And like that, you know, in terms of actors, kind of getting um, a little bit of spot. He's not given a lot in this one compared to others, but still, like James Hong's been doing it longer His than most people. His breakout performance in Kung Fu Panda. As as Poe's as Poe's father, the the bird who uh, the crane who owns the noodle shop. <laughs> he also had a great role in Wendell and Wild, um, which is another movie that had just a lot of stuff going on. Too much for me, but I am glad that it exists. Yeah, I always think of him as the uh, as the Mater D at the uh, Chinese restaurant in the Seinfeld episode. Oh my god! Fantastic oh, and in can that we, way. <laughs> can we also yeah. take note of the fact that James Hong is in Turning Red, which is a movie I was hoping yeah. would be on this yeah. list? Yeah, I'm a little surprised it's not on this list. Are we doing honorable yeah. mentions now? That's a good segue. Let's get into honorable mentions. We can do. Yeah, well, I was gonna say if everybody wants to kind of run through their list and name a couple that didn't make the top ten, um, we can do that. Okay, so, I mean, Andrew mentioned Turning Red, but yeah, like, Turning Red was a really, really good movie. It was sad because it just showed up on Disney+, Plus, right? Like, it didn't, it didn't go to theaters at all, and it was, like, the best Disney movie of the year, period. Like, I mean, it was amazing. Also, uh, I dyed my hair red, literally inspired by Turning Red, <laughs> because it was so good, iconic. Anyways, um, yeah, so that one is really enjoyable. It's on Disney Plus, and also just a great story about immigrants as well, like being a child of an immigrant. Uh, the director, she made the bow short that everyone thought was super weird, but I also loved it, and she has a really good way of filming food. Like, there's a scene in Turning Red where when they're making, like, a stir-fry, and the way that she, she, the way that they, like, animated the food is so good. And you might also know Turning Red as the movie that pissed off conservatives because it talked about having a period, and, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> they were like, to... is... 
<laughs> is turning red about hormones? Question mark. Is it about? It's it's about little, being horny. Little yes. girls. It was one of the first great like grooming panics of 2022. A year that had many yeah. grooming panics. It's a it's a movie that's called Turning Red that they didn't link in on that. Like they didn't like go, oh, let's get into our no. fears in that realm. They it's were like, like, no hormones. Surprise, <laughs> surprise, y'all. Women have periods. Blood comes out. I didn't know if you knew that or not, but it's a thing that happens. Ben Shapiro learned about it, so that was big for him. Another another movie that I saw that I thought was really good that I saw some buzz on. Um, on Letterboxd about it was Fresh. I don't know if y'all heard about that horror film. Um, it's uh, directed by Mimi Cave, and it was, it's a cannibal movie. I guess is, that's a spoiler, but literally the poster is of a hand in a package. And it is, uh, it stars uh, Daisy Edgar Jones, uh, who is in, what's that? Is it Worst oh, Person? Yeah. Normal people. No, normal that's the one people. on Hulu, that's right. right? Yeah, and I also like that yeah, show, yeah. and it was good. But also, Sebastian Stan is in it as the antagonist, and he is a uh, he's like a super rich guy who she meets on she meets him at the grocery store, and she's like sick and tired of dating apps, and she's like, I just want to meet a guy regular, like I just want to be at the grocery store, and a guy compliments me, and we start dating, and they start hanging out and talking to each other and her friend is like her friend who is a black woman is like is way more worried about her safety she's like hey you can't just trust like white guys all the time like you can't just like if a if a guy is like you know like you need to meet him at a public place and and of course sebastian stan is like very charming and he's like actually i want to take you away like oh well, let's go like they're only known each other for a couple of days and he's like let's go for the weekend to this like getaway and her friend is immediately like this guy is gonna murder you like she is like there's no way that you should trust him and it turns out he is trying to murder her but it is actually worse than that he keeps women captive and like cuts their limbs off and sells the meat because apparently there's a market for men who have pictures of women and they know like what what they look like when they're eating their flesh and so he like keeps them alive he keeps them alive and chained up and tries to fatten them up so that he can cut them piece by piece and like sell their meat to people and I've always thought Sebastian Stan was, like, a creepy actor. I've always thought he had, like, a huge head and looked super, like, <laughs> super weird. But he, like, it, the, the movie turns out to have kind of, like, a pretty feminist, like, message in it. And is really good. I was surprised. I was surprised by how fresh it was. Oh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> You did it. <laughs> and it's like, there you go. Jessica's back to, to liking cannibal movies. We've circled back around. Uh, any any honorable mentions, Momali? Yeah. Um, I'm just going to briefly mention one and then talk about uh, two more. Uh, we've talked about all these on the podcast. But I uh, just want to shout out to Tar, um, which was one of the more, like, another good film writing piece of filmmaking. Uh uh, I like Tar, um, but two that I think people maybe forgot because they were released earlier in the year is 
First of all, Robert Eggers, The Northman. Um, the it almost made the list. It. I loved this movie. The more I thought about, it, the more I liked this movie, which is like a, um, uh, like a Icelandic saga adapted into uh, like a film that is on the surface kind of like a He-Man, like Viking action movie kind of, um, but is much more complicated at its roots. Um, not nearly as good as uh, Robert Eggers' previous two movies, which is maybe why some people forgot about it. But I think that it is uh, worth people's time, especially because it's, again, like it's just a dang movie. Like the climax takes place in an erupting volcano with people who are naked and fighting with swords. <laughs> like you can't, like that, there's just something right about your movie. If what that's more do you up. want? The, the volcano is also referred to as the gates of hell. Yes. <laughs> um, there's a lot in this movie that just is like, you just need that like heavy metal like you know it's there this is a movie full of like metal album covers um and i love that um the other one that i think people may have forgotten or maybe people didn't see enough uh was steven soderbergh's kimmy um mm, which yes is really good uh thriller that's like kind of like um kind of like rear window kind of like um 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 what's the de palma movie with john travolta yeah kind of like blow um in which um uh, the 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 main character is supposed to be reviewing um, footage that's been flagged by users on like basically an Alexa, um, and sh- she thinks that she's heard a murder on this, and so she has to investigate. Uh, and it's just like one, it's a great thriller. Two, it's like contemporary and like got like the social commentary stuff, but without being like I didn't feel like it was annoying about it. It's got the COVID stuff in it, but all it all feels really organic. Um, and I imagine in like 20 years, if people like return back to this, they're not going to think, I, I think there's a lot of contemporary stuff in film now in a lot of culture now that probably will, people will return back to it and be like, wow, I can't, they're, they're talking about this in, his, in an embarrassing way. And this doesn't feel like it's going to be that. Um, it, but it's also just like, even if you don't care about that stuff, it's just a great little thriller. It's like 90 minutes, maybe less than 90 minutes. And it just goes, um, balls balls to the wall the whole time like it's good so those are my two honorable mentions plus Picard so I will very briefly co-sign Turning Red that was one that made my list that I was hoping would make this one Um, a movie that proves that Disney can make good movies if they give good movies to good filmmakers and let them do what they want with them uh um, I would also like to shout out a movie called Watcher uh, that Jesse would definitely be talking about right now if she was on this podcast. This is her favorite movie of the year, I believe. Um, it is another one of these uh, thrillers about people watching and being watched. Um, and it is uh, directed in a way that kind of reminds me of people like Roman Polanski or Michael Hanukkah, and maybe even at times Chantel Ackerman um, in the way that shots get held um, and the the framing of those shots is is chosen very intentionally. Um, Stars Micah Monroe, who should be in more movies. She's an incredible movie star. Um, And this was one of the best thrillers I've seen in a couple years. Um, Also want to shout out a couple movies I saw at TIFF. uh, Moon Age Daydream, uh, the, the... found footage documentary by brett morgan about uh, david bowie which is just this psychedelic experience so different than 
um, any other rock documentary you've ever seen. Um, and a movie that I don't think is in wide distribution yet, but maybe will be available on places like the Criterion Channel or movie or somewhere later, uh, No Bears by Jafar Panahi. Um, that guy, if you have not kept up with the ongoing story of Jafar Panahi's attempts to make cinema, um, uh, despite the fact that the Iranian government has barred him from doing so legally, um, is, is a really incredible um, feat, uh, this movie especially. And he is in prison now, and I hope that he gets out of prison soon and is able to uh, make movies again. Uh, because he's real good at it. I feel so uh, bad about that movie because yeah. I fell asleep. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> also, I should say I, I wrote <laughs> no. this in my review on the the TIFF coverage we did. But me and Zach were sitting uh, in the theater for uh, No Bears. It was the the press uh, premiere yeah. of this movie, and thirty oh, minutes yeah. in, like there's a freeze frame, or there was a freeze frame that just lasted for minutes and minutes. And it took a very long time for people in the audience to be like, okay, this isn't actually in the movie <laughs> because like it, it is a movie that does so much with like the meta element of film uh, that the people thought that it might be an elaborate arc prank. And this is the kind of movie that yeah. could have something like that in it. <laughs> I don't know. I was sleepy at the time. I'm really, I'm really bombed. That I didn't yeah. get the full experience. You went, it was good when I watched it. You went it, to though. jail. So Zach could good sleep. when I watched it. <laughs> That's why I feel worse. Um, I, I, so I, I, I don't know. I was looking at my top ten. I'm so base this year. Um, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, one I one that came out. I think technically in twenty. 20- Based or basic? Those things are very different. Basic. Yeah, okay. I don't know. <laughs> I got. I got to talk to. I'm sure it's based as well. What's based? <laughs> yeah. What is base? Yeah, I don't know what that is either. It's good. Based is good. Google it. Your kids will tell you one day. I have to have kids to learn what this word means? (laughs) (laughs) All right, whatever. I don't give a shit. Um, Number one of the ones, uh, it came out last year, um, but I think it got wider distribution this year. It's on the Criterion channel now. Uh, The actually he made two movies last year Ria Huchi uh Riyasuki, uh Hamaguchi um he made Drive My Car but he also made Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy I really like Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy um check it out if you can it's it's split up I think yeah Michael I think we talked about it it's split up in the three different stories all like you, you, I think we talked about it at the time it's tough to make uh movies like that where you have like different stories that and they all kind of progressively are good or or get better or whatever this one is like the peak it's like all the stories are are good or getting better the entire time if people are on the fence about this movie what you need to know is that one of the segments is about um some students who find out that their professor has written a novel that conclude that contains a very like spicy sex scene and one of them is going to go try to seduce the professor by reading the sex scene to him in his office great (laughs) (laughs) um one of them I thought might creep up in the top 10 because I know this was Reed's favorite movie, but Ambulance, Michael Bay, man. The dude, the, like we're talking about uh, action filmmaking and RRR, the America, the closest America got to it this year was with Ambulance. It has drone shots in this that are absolutely insane. Where like it starts on the top of a building, rides down the building, and catches up in motion with the action. I, 
I, I just ambulance. I wish Reed was here and we could just talk about ambulance. Um, in, in terms of also like just uh, maximalist filmmaking, uh, Elvis made its way into my top 10. Elvis is insane. Um, love that movie. That's all I got. Um, I also mentioned, uh, I also had Kimmy in mind as well, but the other one, uh, Official Competition, which is this kind of uh, satire of. Um, of like film festivals and awards that stars Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas. I don't think it's got wide distribution yet. Um, but if it does, it's worth checking out because it's, it's incredibly funny where it's just kind of spoofing the whole actors, director, like that whole combination where you have Penelope Cruz playing this director and Antonio Banderas playing this, um, kind of movie star actor who's like coming to do like a more artsy drama, um, super funny. It includes this scene, a really great scene where they think that they're going to be lifting up a massive boulder only to learn that the boulder is being held up by like a machine and you couldn't see the machine and it's great. Um, but check it out. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm just, I have a, I feel like I have a really basic top 10. I mean, I have Top Gun and Jackass forever in my top 10 list. So I was a little surprised that Jackass didn't Dude, make it's our awesome. top 10 my 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 version of the inside outtakes is watching jackass 4.5 there you go i would like to note that wheel of fortune and fantasy was in our top 10 last year bringing it back baby (laughs) years are a social construct that's true that's yeah also batman is really good the batman Batman is good, and it brought back that Nirvana song. Something in the way. (laughs) What they should have had, did y'all ever have the Nirvana CD that had something in the way at the end, but then there was like 20 minutes of silence, and then there was another song after it? They should have done that at the end of the credits. (laughs) It was like legitimately so weird, because now every time I hear that song, I only think of Batman. Out of all the like kind of superhero output, Batman is high and above the best because it's just such a weird moody movie with robert pattinson it is pretty fun <laughs> uh it's so weird paul dano is the riddler and he's so the, creepy colin, the second so best gross. colin uh ferrell <laughs> performance of this year yeah is it is i love colin ferrell so much in that movie <laughs> um all right well i think that'll that'll wrap up for the most part but before we we go andrew i'm gonna have you introduce our next our next series that we're gonna be kicking off 2023 with yes our next series is going to be one of the artsiest series that Cinematary has ever done. And that is a series on the Muppets. It's become a bit of an obsession in my household, me and Jesse. Um, and we would like to share this obsession with the world. So in, in the series that we're about to embark upon, which is a four-week series, we are going to um, get the full scope of what the Muppets are. Because they are such a, a weird, idiosyncratic, unique form of cinema. Um, and and there's a lot of different aspects as to why we will explore over the course of the series. But in the first episode, uh, we're just going to look at both the pilot of The Muppet Show uh, and the first Muppet movie, which came in 1979. Uh, just as kind of a way to get our bearings of like what exactly is the Muppets? How do they introduce themselves to the world? How is it kind of this um, unique collaborative art form? 
in the second episode, we're going to talk specifically about Jim Henson, um, who's sort of the, the brainchild behind all of the Muppets. He only ever directed one Muppet movie, and in my opinion, it's the best Muppet movie, The Great Muppet Caper. So that'll be our second episode. Uh, in the third one, we're going to look at the period of time when the Muppets were just doing like these literary adaptations uh, in the 90s and early 2000s. One that a lot of people will probably know is Muppet Christmas Carol. We're not going to do that one, actually. We're going to do Muppet Treasure Island and this TV movie they made called Muppet Wizard of Oz that may be bad, but I, I would, I've never seen it and I would like to see it. Uh, and then we're going to end with our, our last episode about the Disney acquisition of the Muppets, which happened in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Disney put out two Muppet movies, one of which I think is really bad and one of which I think is really good. Uh, but we'll talk about the, the current state of Muppetdom. Uh, to, to round it out um, <laughs> the current so, yeah. state of Muppet uh, come, come back and come read, back and check out read the my, my grad school thesis the current state of Muppetdom <laughs> um, no it sounds good it's unfortunately we're going to be given a lot of a lot of a lot of action to Disney plus but you know that's where they, they all are, are. so yeah. we'll work through that on ourselves all right until then everybody have a wonderful 2023 cemetery we'll be back with the Muppets. Goodbye.